It's a tradition in our church to kneel when we pray before the message is preached. So if you can do that, I would ask you to do it or get in a position that represents contrition. Um, I get it. Even kneeling can become pretentious, right? So it's all about where our hearts are at. Where is your heart at right now? For prepare your heart to receive the word of God declared um, from up here. Heavenly Father, thank you that the heavens declare your glory. They shout about your majesty and that you alone are creator. You're the only one. And the heavens show the work of your hands. We look to the sky and we see what you can do. But we praise you now, God, because with all that glory and majesty and beauty that we cannot even describe, that we just scratch the surface of when we see something and our hearts soar in your creation, and yet there's something that that does not declare. But thank you that you have given us a great declaration in your law, your commandments, your rules, your statutes, the word of God in Jesus Christ. So I pray that you now by your spirit would work in our hearts that we might hear your word proclaimed with our ears, but you would work in our hearts that we would receive it and it would impact our lives and that we would walk away a constantly transformed people, that we would not be conformed to the world around us, but that we would be transformed by you renewing our minds. So we submit now to you, Father. So we ask that the, the, the words of my mouth now and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in our sight. God, you're our strength, you're our rock, and our redeemer. And then it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that I pray now. Amen. Good morning. You can take a, a changed seat from where you were. Summit Kids, you may go. I love seeing the pace at which kids leave the sanctuary. Um, perhaps that's a lesson for us. Um, as we age and we think about something like childlike faith, perhaps the, the, the way they run out to go accomplish and do something, maybe we should do something at the same pace. pace. So it's preacher's choice or pastor's choice this month. And uh, it's interesting because you, you see a guy get up, especially after what Jasper said, right? Uh, what's the vision that God has for the leaders, leaders of our church? What, what does he put on their hearts by his Holy Spirit? What are they studying in the word? How is their conviction together? And then someone gets up and they put a reference on the screen and you're like, I wonder how he got to that. What's going on? What's going on? That that was the conviction of one of the, the leaders of our church. So it's really two parts for me in terms of conviction. Uh, one is present um, and I have noticed a pattern, and I would say I've noticed this over the past three years. Um, it's, it's been long in our culture and society, but I've noticed over the past three years um, a prevalence in wrong understanding about something. And I've noticed uh, and dealt with some specific situations where that has come into our church, into Summit Church. And I would say that is not for our benefit, that wrong thinking comes in that, that stands uncorrected. So that's kind of the present, why I've picked this passage. There's a ton of passages that you could select. This is the one that God has put in my heart, also based on the fact that over the past, I would say, 20 years, God has been refining me and teaching me um, to line up with what his scriptures say the church truly is. 
So I, I've always kind of understood as I uh, came into relationship with Christ, you know because of the word of God what the church is. And then he continues to teach you by his word what the church actually is. So we are going to go and it's going to be a rapid pace this morning. Uh, some of you look tired. Uh, maybe you are or maybe that's just how you look when you're learning. I hope it's the, the latter and not the former. But if you're tired right now, I'm going to go with high energy deliberately so that you might hear the word of God and be excited about it and receive it. So 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. We're going to jump ahead a little too, but you'll see when we do that. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11. When we preach in our church, we like you to have your Bibles, whether that's on a phone, a tablet. Um, I don't know if people still use tablets in church anymore. Or the real deal, the, the word of God expressed. We like you to have that. So don't just look at me. I'm not much to look at anyway. Don't just look at the screens, although they're here to help you understand the truth of the word of God. But have the word of God with you. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. I'm going to read through it real quickly. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. All right, look at your Bibles. Good. I don't see anyone looking at me. Good. Look at your Bibles. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, look at it. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So Paul's writing to the church in Corinth a baby church. All the churches kind of were back then. Baby church, new church. Hadn't been around for a while. They received the gospel of Jesus Christ. They chose to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit is working there. But there are a lot of things that they did not understand. They were ignorant. They were uninformed. So Paul was writing them letters to say, this is how you should think about something. This is how you should think about things. They had apparently written a letter to him or many letters and asked him questions. We don't know this for sure, but it's pretty safe to look at how uh, First and Second Corinthians are written and say, yeah, they had written asking him questions about things. And one of the things they had asked about is, hey, what about spiritual things? So look at verse one. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be informed. In verse one, we need to know And if I just said informed, I meant uninformed, because some of you made a weird face at what I just said. So now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The people preaching are fallible, right? Sometimes we don't say the right things. We try to go back and correct it if we know we uh, did something wrong. All right, uninformed. So God wants you to know the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and to us. 
God wants us to know how the Holy Spirit works. Now, it's interesting, when we translate, I've never translated the Bible, but when the smart people translate the Bible from the original languages, um, sometimes they make what you, you could say are editorial choices. So in translating, they're then determining the meaning of things. This is really interesting, because when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, we see there now concerning spiritual gifts, he never wrote the word gifts. In his original letter that he wrote, he did not say now concerning spiritual gifts. He said now concerning spirituals, plural. Concerning spiritual things. Now concerning what comes from the Spirit. God wants you to know how the Holy Spirit works. This is important. What we know, what we think, drives our lives. That's that's the way that God has made us. When you wake up in the morning and you think something, that sets the direction for your life. If you're thinking wrongly, that veers you off the course of your life. The way that we think is very important. So God wants us to know things. We need to use our brains. It's not gathering of intellect or facts. It's that we have to know and understand things that he has said, his truth. And one of those things is how the Holy Spirit works. Spiritual things. What comes from the Spirit? Now, the church in Corinth was interesting. I already mentioned it, but they, they had gone from being a pagan to being in Christ Jesus. And for us, that can be a little tricky. Because some of us grew up in a culture where we were very much acculturated into maybe, you'd say, the culture of the church, like how things work in the church, or spiritual things, or how things go. Corinth wasn't like that. They went basically from, from, from black to white, from darkness to light. They weren't exposed to the right things. So Paul's writing to them, and look at verse 2. You know, you know. So this is the indicative mood. Where's Becky? There she is. Languages person. She knows what the indicative mood is, right? When you study languages. Indicative mood, it's a, a statement, a simple statement of fact. I don't need to convince you of this. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So you know this. Now, we might struggle with that. We see the word pagans, and we're like, pagans? That sounds weird, like witch doctors and weirdness. You don't need to be convinced that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, how, however you were led. We should think of this in this way. Before Jesus, you were led astray. Before you knew Jesus, you were led astray. However you were led, you were led astray before you met Jesus Christ, however you were led. And there's this implication in that, and you can see it below there. Don't think about spiritual things like you did back then. So you used to be this way, now you're this way. Don't think about the the way that, uh, that you used to think about things. Pagans means foreigners, literally. People outside of God's family. And I want to really push this point home. Because it's hard for us to often identify that we were pagans. We were outsiders before Christ Jesus. Now, for some of us, we get it. But for others, we don't. Ephesians 2 says this. Look at those yellow words. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So you were walking in trespasses and sins, and you were dead and you were following the course of the world, and you were following the prince of the power of the air. In other words, you were following the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So think about that. When you, before you met Jesus, that's what you were. You were dead, 
You're walking in sin, following the ways of the world, and following the devil. That is a true part of every one of your testimonies if you're in Christ Jesus. That is the truth of it. Sometimes we forget that because we think of the happy memories that we had before we knew Jesus, but you were dead in your sins and trespasses. Later in that chapter, Paul writes this, remember you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. Are you getting the idea? Separated, alienated, strangers. You have no, had no hope and you are without God in the world. So when you were pagans, that's the way that it was. Before you met Jesus, you were separated, alienated, strangers, and without God. Colossians writes, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. So you were in darkness. When scripture talks about darkness, it's always about ignorance and lack of truth, wickedness, evil, and folly. He's delivered us from that domain. And where has he put us? Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we were in the kingdom of darkness. We didn't get it. We were in dark wickedness, folly, foolishness. But God has delivered through Christ Jesus into the kingdom of his son. So when you think about when you were pagans, think about it that way. And if we went around this morning, we're not going to do this. There's controversy if, if we talked about open mic. You ever notice that in church? When it's open mic time, some people start to get really stressed out. It's like, oh, maybe they're going to do open mic. I don't know what to do. Because some people share very encouraging things. And often some people will say something and you're like, I really wasn't tracking with anything that that person said whatsoever. But what do you do with that? It makes us uncomfortable, but we are the body of Christ in that. But if we walked around and people had a chance to share, I think we would see three things, maybe more than that. But people would say this, before Jesus, I followed whatever led me to pleasure for my body. Before Jesus, I followed whatever led me to pleasure for my body. We know the big ones, right? Sex, drugs, and drinking. I don't know about rock and roll. It just fits in the statement. Pleasure for my body. And it's easy to pick on those ones. It's easy to pick on heroin and methamphetamines. It's easy to pick on rampant sexuality, the changing of sexual behavior and sexual identity. Those are easy to pick on. Those are so clearly wrong. What about food? What about food? Pleasure for my body. How did we used to think about food? What about the way we would spend our money? Or how we would work so hard to take a vacation we needed that we worked so hard. Man. Before Jesus, many of us followed whatever led us to pleasure for our bodies. It was all about feeling a good way physically. What about this one? Before Jesus, I followed whatever led me to perceive control. Maybe this is the the other end of a spectrum. If if you you were a pleasure for my body person... um, Maybe you don't get this, but some of you get this. Before Jesus, I followed whatever led me to perceived control. That is, well, I'm not a drinker because I have perfect self-control. I work out seven times a week. I can bench press whatever my body weight might be right now in excess of that. And I have control over things. I think the right things. And I have knowledge. I make the right choices and the right investments. When there's a recession, I've made the right choice because I have control over things because I'm smart and I have wisdom to know the right things to do. Think about before Jesus. Were you that way? 
where everything was about the collection of wisdom and knowledge. And you're like, I can make the right choices and I can control my life. It's perceived control. It's the idol of self. Before Jesus, I followed whatever led me to feeling good about myself. This is the idol, the mute, the dumb idol of emotion. Before Jesus, this is how when someone would question that something might be wrong with us, it sends us into a flurry of a tornado of that, like crazy emotions. How could you suggest that something's wrong with me? Why do I need to repent? There's nothing wrong with me. Some of us before Jesus, we followed whatever led us to feeling good about ourselves. Here's a great thing that Paul writes. Therefore, look at verse three. Therefore, and there's the old saying, but it still applies. Whenever you see a therefore in scripture, you ask, what is it? Therefore, thank you for playing along with that. Therefore, so based on what I just wrote, Paul is saying, I want you to understand something. Look at verse three. I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So remember, Corinth was coming of this place of everything they did was leading them to just pagan idols, craziness, disarray. I won't go into what that looked like in that Roman culture, but it was not good. It was not R-rated. It was whatever above R-rated is now in the rating system. Paul's writing, you're you're not that way anymore. Before Jesus, you were like that. That's the way that you thought. But now, I want you to understand something. Now you're led by the Holy Spirit. And his message, the message of the Holy Spirit, always leads you to Jesus. Always leads you to Jesus. Let's look at this. God wants you to understand. I want you to understand. And he kind of breaks it into two parts. First one, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. So Paul is teaching us so that we would know in terms of worship and gathering together and encouraging one another how the Holy Spirit works. And the Holy Spirit never, ever, 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 ever leads people to confusion, lies, division, or disorder. Ever. So when you see lies or hear lies or you see confusion or you see division, you see disorder, That's not from the Spirit of God. That is not from the Spirit of God that you see those things. And Paul kind of gives this example, and it's tricky for us now to know exactly what he was getting after with it. But no one in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Now, there's kind of a basic level to that. That is, outside the church, if you heard someone say, in saltier language perhaps, Jesus is cursed. Forget about Jesus. Jesus is not who you say he is. That's not the Holy Spirit leading that person to talk. So if you hear that, you know, oh, that's, that's not the Spirit of God. That's not from God. But there's also instances when people will say things in church or in spiritual circles, you might say, where it's like, although they sound kind of right, but I don't know if they're right. Think of the outcome of the things that people say. Are they true? Are they matched up with the word of God? Do they lead to confusion more? Do they divide people? Do they disorder things? But no one ever says, 
by the Spirit of God, Jesus is accursed. No one ever gives an incomplete picture of who Jesus Christ is if they're speaking in the Spirit of God. Now, the, the flip side of that, you might say, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Look at the end of verse 3 there. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That's interesting. No one can say. That means you are unable to say this. So it's not just like, well, they don't say that or they don't like that idea. You cannot say that. Only in the Holy Spirit can people believe and proclaim the truth of Jesus. That is, Jesus is Lord. Now, this is, this is interesting because we get into this, like a core foundational theology, and if you didn't even know it, you were going to get taught core doctrines right now from the pulpit. Imagine that. And it has to do with regeneration. That is a, the position of our hearts before Jesus or that we will not receive the gospel. It's like throwing stones at a brick wall and bounces off. And yet the Holy Spirit does something to our hearts. He regenerates our hearts. And all of a sudden, we can receive the gospel. We hear it. We understand it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we believe. And then what do we do? We proclaim the truth and say, Jesus is Lord. That does not stop then. The Holy Spirit continues and continues and continues to give us that message that Jesus Christ is Lord. So when we were singing in that awesome way, praise God that he's given us gifted people to to play instruments and to sing with us and lead us in that. When When we're praising God and saying Jesus is Lord, we are doing that by the Holy Spirit. Unbelievable. And we choose to do that, but we choose to do it because he changed our heart that we can do it. Only in the Holy Spirit can people believe and proclaim the truth of Jesus. God wants you to understand that. If you didn't know that, now you do. Here's the message of the Holy Spirit. If you remember this, these should look familiar. We just preached them over the course of a few months. Was that this spring? John 14, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and what? Bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's the message of the Holy Spirit. John 15, also verse 26, very easy to remember. You can pair those two together. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, what will he do? He will bear witness about me. This is Jesus Christ saying this. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, will bear witness about Jesus. And then in the the meat of chapter 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. A lot of people read that part and get all excited about, oh, the Holy Spirit's just about predicting things. That's not true. Yes, he can predict things. Side, side note, how does God know what the future is? How does God know what the future is? I'm going to give you an example. I'm not trying to put myself on par with God. So don't think that I'm trying to do that at all. But I'm going to say something right now. And God, help me do this. Don't take me so I can make this example. In five seconds, I'm going to raise my hand. Did I predict the future? I did. I predicted the future. I said in five seconds I was going to raise my hand. And the reality is that God knows ahead. God sees ahead because he's making everything happen. It's unbelievable how that happens. 
So when, when you see, and he will declare to you the things that are to come, don't think of it like magical fortune telling. Think of it that God is in control and he's making all these things happen for his own glory and with his glory, our blessing. So don't get caught up in that. He will declare to you the things that are to come. And what will he do? Look at verse 14. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is our Lord Jesus Christ speaking. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. He will take what is Jesus and declare it to us. Pretty awesome. Here's the warning part that I talked about at the outset of my message. You, as part of Summit Church, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, you must test all things, especially spiritual things, especially spiritual things, against the message of Jesus Christ, the Word of God. That is the Bible. You must do that. That's not just the responsibility of the teachers and leaders of this church. We do that. But you must do that as well. Not every spiritual practice, tradition, or experience is led by the Holy Spirit. There are many practices, traditions, and experiences that are led by the Holy Spirit. So I'm not a wet blanket up here about who God is. But not everything that is a spiritual practice, tradition, or experience is led by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Not every thought or emotion or dream you have is led by the Holy Spirit. Now, you do have thoughts that are led by the Holy Spirit. You do have ways that you feel that are led by the Holy Spirit. You do have dreams often that are from the Holy Spirit. But not all of them, not every thought or emotion or dream you have is led by the Holy Spirit. And this is something that's very important to me personally right now, this, this point as a leader in a church. Not every person who says that God says or thus saith the Lord is led by the Spirit of truth. Something's happened, I don't know, it's in the past 15 years in our culture. And it's people are in a church and engaged, and it's awesome. Because the body of Christ is awesome. The bride of Christ, radiant, being perfected through the Spirit of God for, for, for Jesus himself. But people just want all kinds of information. And this, this is what's happened in our church on a few occasions that I'm warning you against. People like, watch a YouTube video or hear some kind of thing. And then they text the link out to other people without checking whether or not it's true. And that's propagating filth to our body. I'm not talking about pornography. I'm talking about false doctrine. We can't have that in our body. So when, when we're passionate about this, when Todd is and Jasper is and Dennis and Peter and Glenn and all the others, like we're doing that because we're trying to protect you. Not every person who said God says is led by the spirit of truth. So how do you know if something is true or not? You go to the word of God. God has given us in the Bible his truth revealed to us. We don't need more than that. There are not things that people say now that are on par with scripture unless they are saying what the word of God says. That is what the Bible says. So we all together must test all things, everything, but especially spiritual things against the message of Jesus Christ, the word of God. I want to give you a little warning just to conclude this part of the sermon. This is what God is talking through Moses in Deuteronomy. So if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and then look at this part, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. Whoa! Like now we're talking like people doing miracles and predicting that they're going to do them. Perhaps. So if a prophet does that, 
a visionary, a prophet, whatever, says, this is going to happen. A miraculous thing is going to happen. And it happens. Now, some people would say, well, that's good. That proves they're a prophet. That's not true. That's not what the Bible says. And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So when someone says, this is from the Lord, you have to test it. And it's not enough because the Bible even says that at some point, there's going to be people coming along and they can do miracles and they can say miraculous things. Don't be deceived by those. You have to test the message of what they say. Is the message about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul? Can it be confirmed by the Bible, the word of God? That's what we have to do. And the fullness of God's word teaches us. You don't have to be afraid. You just have to be wary and keep your eyes peeled. Now, about spiritual gifts. I think some of you are like, all right, let's get to the spiritual gifts part, right? Now, about spiritual gifts. Look at verse four. Now there's variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There's varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there's varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. I'm gonna stop there. Now about spiritual gifts. Let's, let's focus in on this. There's going to be four ideas. Well, four and a half. One is a compound idea, but you'll get it. One God gives. So how many gods are there? There's one true God. One true God. That one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Ryan and I were talking. Ryan, I don't know where you are. We were talking about the Trinity before the service. That's another one that's like, whoa. There's an aspect with the Trinity that we must believe it even if we cannot fully understand it. It's a thing of God. So we believe the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But in terms of fully, fully understanding, that's, that's tough duty. Above my pay grade, one might say. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he gives. What does he give? Different gifts plus or and different ways of using them. So one God gives different gifts and different ways of using them. Look in, your, in the passage in verses four to six. You should see this, right? Into verse seven. You should see it. There's one God. He gives different gifts and different ways of using them to each believer. So I'm going to do a thing, and I know some of you are not hand raisers. I don't mean worship hand raisers. I mean like if the guy asks you, hey, raise your hand, it, all of a sudden you become the most rebellious person in the world. So you don't have to do it. I excuse you from, from that. But like, Who here is a believer in Jesus Christ? Put your hand up. All right. So to each believer, the one God has given different gifts and different ways of view. There is no one accepted from that. There's no exception. The way you feel about your gifts doesn't matter. You have a spiritual gift given to you by the Holy Spirit. It's not the same as everyone else. There's different ways that you use it. But every believer, everyone in Christ Jesus, because every person in Christ Jesus has the Holy Spirit, has a spiritual gift or set of gifts to each believer for the benefit of the big letters, church. That means the entire kingdom of God, you might say, but Paul is writing to a local church. Your gifts are intended to be used locally amongst a body that you've committed to. So one God gives different gifts, different ways of using them to every Christian, every believer, 
for the benefit of building up the body of Christ, the church. Let's dive into that. One God gives. So we're in verse four here. Varieties of gifts. But the same spirit. Varieties of service. But the same Lord. There's varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them. All and everyone. So there's one God here. The awesome part, well, there's like 578 million awesome things about this, but one God. So when the Spirit gives gifts, and then service is done for Jesus Christ, that same Lord, and then there's all these workings out of things that are done by God the Father, who's empowering them all and everyone. When that happens, perfectly unified. There's not dissonance between those things. It's one God giving those things. So there shouldn't be division. It's all coming from one. They should work together perfectly because they're all from the same spirit, same Lord, same God. That is one God. And he gives those gifts, provides service and activities. The gifts are different. So are the service and activities. We're going to go backwards through this one. Look at verse 4 again into verse 5. Actually, into verse 6. There's a variety of act- there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Think about activities this way. Activities, the word literally is workings. That just sounds so old-fashioned. I'm, I'm glad we translated it activities. But it's not like uh, activity time in, in, uh, that they're kind of doing right, right now in some of the kids' classes. It's this, workings. God works through different people in different ways. That's activities. That is workings. God works through different people in different ways. Can you see now, even as I say that, why it's important to remember that this is one God? Because we're talking about differences here. And different people, God is working through in different ways. We need to remember that this is all coming from one God or we'll get so confused about ways that that it seems like God isn't pulling things together, but he actually is. We have to remember that God is working and he's one God. Now, varieties of service. You could translate this word um, ministry. We get uh, the word deacons from this same kind of core word. There's varieties of service. There's different kinds of Ways that people serve Jesus. And then there's varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of gifts. So there's different gifts that you see. Not all the gifts are the same. Paul gives us examples of gifts here. Every sermon I've ever listened to on this says the following statement here. So it's not an exhaustive list of gifts. So it's not like, well, that's, that's what there are. But it's examples that Paul gives. To one is given in, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 
I want to take you on a journey of memories, if you'll join me. I grew up in a place called Mundelein, Illinois. There's probably three of you who know or care, actually, where that is or what that is. It's at Mundelein High School, the Mustangs. Um, didn't have much of a penchant for academic uh, excellence in my high school career, you might say. Wasn't the best student. So 1992, I am in chemistry class with Jack Pulowski. Doesn't that sound like a chemistry teacher's name? Jack Pulowski. Uh, behind his back, we said Black Jack Pulowski, because you got to give teachers a name to make fun of them, and then, uh, well, you know how that goes. So, sorry to all the teachers here. Black Jack Pulowski is teaching chemistry. And it's like, argon is a noble gas. I hope it is. Um, who can, con all right, we got it. Argon is a noble gas. Uh, Helium, noble gas. So I got two noble gases there that I remember. And by five minutes into the class, I'm either drawing or I've fallen asleep. The building blocks of chemistry. Can you believe that? And I'm just sleeping, and Blackjack is droning on and on. And then a little later, not that day, but later on, he takes two things. Sodium and francium. <laughs> so he puts a little bit of francium, I think it was just in the water, H2O, and it starts jumping around. There's a great chemical reaction. And I'm like, yeah, I love chemistry. This is awesome. And then sodium, which I don't know if it's more reactive than francium, but it is very fun for a 16-year-old boy to see a big chunk of sodium dropped in a body of water. Let's just say that. There's a huge chemical reaction, and it's like, that's what I'm talking about. I love chemistry. Why, when there are big things that happen in terms of chemical reactions, why is that more exciting? There's just something about, it's not just high school boys. There's something about when something exciting happens that we're drawn to it. Even our hearts are. The eternity that God has put in our hearts, we're drawn to something like that. But something bad can happen with that as well. And you'll see on the screen, it's that we would read this passage and only see what we see on the screen. This whole passage. And we just see healing, miracles, prophecy, spirits, tongues, and tongues. Now, I want to tell you as a teacher in our church that those are important things to be dealt with. I also want to say, as a teacher in our church, they require some time to do effectively, more time than I have this morning. So if you, if you saw the passage and you're like, yeah, here we go, healing, miracles, prophecy, tongues, spirits, tongues, if that's what you want to hear about, you're going to be sorely disappointed this morning from this passage. But... Come back probably sometime around the, the start of the new year, and we are going to teach through specifically about some of these things, okay? So don't be disappointed now, because the power of God is working through his word. And I didn't get to say, well, this is what healing is and how it should be applied. Are there different dispensations and all things like that? I want you to think this morning about this. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So I know that sometimes it seems like we're teaching the periodic table up here, right? Argon, neon, got another one, helium, 
I know that that doesn't seem as exciting or as curious or as intriguing or as controversial as gifts of healings and miracles and defining what prophecy actually is within the church. Those things are important and understanding them are important and that's why we're putting time to studying them and also in teaching them in the coming year. So I just got some of you to come back in January. That's good. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit. Each gift is energized and personalized by the Holy Spirit according to his divine will. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The power is from the Holy Spirit. That's where the gift is from, and it's personalized by the Holy Spirit. That means that you could look at two people. Uh, let's take the gift of the utterance of wisdom or the gift of the utterance of knowledge. Uh, let's just say teaching more broadly. You could look at two people and they both have the gift from the Holy Spirit of teaching and they teach differently. And yet when they teach by the Holy Spirit, people understand the oracles of God, the truth from God's word. So it's personalized. This is important to remember because we often mistakenly think of like there's this bucket of gifts and the Holy Spirit is like throwing them out like this and maybe I get this one and then if I have that gift, I have to be like someone else who I know has that gift is. That's not the way that the Holy Spirit works. So each gift is given power. The Holy Spirit is empowering these things but it's on a a personal level to each individual believer and it's according to his divine will. This is important He does this according to his divine will, to each one individually as he wills. Sometimes this can be disappointing because we would look at the gifts that we have, that we know we have or we're unsure about, and we'd be like, Holy Spirit, why'd you give me that gift? But it's according to his divine will. It's according to God's divine will that he apportions gifts to believers that he distributes gifts to believers. The Holy Spirit is composing the church and it's put the church together at a big level, so all kinds of churches who rightly preach the gospel. And then within those individual churches, individual believers building one another up and preaching and speaking the truth to each other. But it's according to his divine will. He's the potter, you might say, or the clay. He gets to decide how the gifts are given out how they're used. And this is important to remember because it it solves some lies or some challenges that we run into. And that's that, I don't have a gift. No, it's given to each believer. He's composed it. He's given it to you. Maybe you don't know what that is. We'll talk about that in a second in regards to how you might know your gifts. But to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit to each believer. So you're not without a gift. You're just with ignorance to that. God will teach you in that. He'll show you. And the way that he shows you is through use of gifts. So if you wonder, man, what? I don't know what my gift is. Just start serving. Your gift will show up. So it's given to each believer and it solves these lies. One lie is this. Someone would say, I don't belong in the church because I am not. Actually, jump ahead now. Look at, uh, I think that's in verse 14. Yeah, verses 14 through 20. 
Would someone say it this way? Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Look at that, verses 14 to 20, he goes through this. People say, I don't belong in the church because I am not. And here's something that God laid on my heart to encourage you with. I spent from probably 2002 to 2000, late 2017 to 2018, with part of my, I know I'll sound all weird here, but like part of my heart just miserable because I was trying to be someone that God didn't make me to be. Trying to emulate other people and be, be someone because I looked at their gifts and I said, I see that those are effective. And actually over time, it proved that some of those weren't even, even gifts of the spirit based on how things worked out. But I saw men and I'm like, I want to be like that. I want to serve God like that. And I just tried to be those guys and I didn't just be who God had made me to be. And although I was somewhat effectively serving God, in that I was dry and unhappy and miserable and all over the place because I thought I had to be a certain way. And the way I have to be is who God calls me to be according to the word of God. I can't be a, like this awful sinner and say, hey, that's the way that I am. No, that's not what I'm saying. But we shouldn't say I'm not a hand so I don't belong to the body. That doesn't make us less part of the body. What makes us part of the body is that God has placed us in his body, that the Holy Spirit has composed the church in this way. So not true, busted. Don't say that. Do not say that, that I don't belong because I'm not a hand. Or like I see someone do something. Sometimes I'm tempted in this. I'll see or hear Jasper preach and I'm like, that guy has it, man. Or Todd will explain something. When we were in Grenada many years ago, I watched Todd do things and I'm like, I wish I could do that. And I was jealous of them. And that only tears the church apart. Jealousy and bitter envy. Shame on me. But God is teaching me by his spirit. I can be who he made me to be. There's another truth that we have to remember. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Just imagine a church full of noses. Like, that is the best smelling church, but it doesn't do anything. Like, what is your church ministry? Well, I'm in the smelling ministry. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Where would the body be? Where would the body be? You have to answer that question in your own heart right now. If everyone was the same, where would the body be? Another lie. This is pointing at people. You, not sorry, Sam, not pointing at you. You don't belong in the church because you are not. Look at the, look at the uh, I think that's in verse 21 through 26. Look at it. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We fall into this lie of thinking that because someone is different, that we don't need them. That is the most prideful, foolish thing you could ever think and then say, say, I don't need you. I challenge you to read through verses 14 through 26 later in the week or even this afternoon. But that's not true. We should never think that or say that to someone that they don't belong because they are not. Starting in the middle of verse 24, I think that is. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. In other words, God, by his spirit, has given out gifts and all these ways of doing things in a way that there, there isn't division. That's what God wants in that. So it's a purposeful way that he does things. In other words, God has put us together because we need each other. 
So there's some gifts that are sexier or flashier, and we make a big deal out of those, but there are also things that are like internal organs, and we don't think they're that big of a deal until there's something wrong with them. If one member suffers, all suffer together, right? So someone could look great, but their pancreas could be all jacked up. And then all of a sudden, that really starts hurting their body, doesn't it? But that's hidden until it starts to hurt. And then the whole body suffers from that pain. But here's the awesome thing. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God wants the members to have the same care for one another. Do not be haughty, but be willing to associate with the lowly. This is for the benefit of the church. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Manifestation is when something that you can't see becomes seen. How is the Holy Spirit seen in the church? It is seen through the body of Christ, the people of the church. The manifestation of the Spirit shows up, and it is for the benefit of the church, for the building up of the church, for the common good. If you look at the end of verse 7 there, we're on the home stretch. Your energy's been good. You're sticking with it. That's good. This is the word of God. Here's a challenge. This will hurt some of your hearts. And I encourage you not to to tune me out because it hurts to say this. Don't be misinformed or uninformed. Do not be blind. Do not be ignorant. Do not uh, put away the truth. The gifts the Holy Spirit has given you are not for you. Their primary use is not for you. That does not mean you do not gain benefit from them. That does not mean that they're, they're not awesome in, in your life and that ministry would not be fulfilling. But the gifts the Holy Spirit has given you are not for you. If you study spiritual gifts, and we will, you'll see that they're to edify, to build up the body of Christ. So this should impact the way that we each think about gifts, service, and activities at Summit. There's kind of a a least effective way of thinking about this. Now, I'm sure there could be a a worse than this effective way of thinking about it. But in terms of these examples that I'm going to put forth, the least effective way to think about gifts in the church is Summit needs to provide ways for me to use my gifts. In other words, it's on Summit. So, Glenn, you're an elder. I'm a pretty good dancer. Um, Give me a chance, right? Summit needs to provide ways for me to use my gifts. Summit needs to give me opportunities. Then there's a more effective way. This is is good. I need to look for ways to use my gifts at Summit, right? I I know I have gifts. I'm not sure all about them. I want to use them to build up others and that God would be glorified. So I need to look for ways to use those gifts at Summit. Local body of Christ. That's a more effective way to think about it. And then there is, uh, I would say, most effectively mature way of thinking about it. And that would be the mentality and the attitude that the gifts that God has given me show up and build up when I serve at Summit or everywhere I serve and interact with people in the body of Christ. The gifts that God has given me show up and build up when I serve at Summit. That is, whatever I do, because it's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit showing up, those those gifts will come out in the acts of service that I do. That's the most effective way to think about gifts. So I want you to think this way. Think about gifts and service and activities this way. Not, hey, you need to give me something to do. I'll be honest, like every two and a half years, 
it's always a man, I don't know why, comes into our church and he's like, you need to let me teach. Seriously, right? Like every two and a half or three years, someone comes in there like, you need to let me teach. And it's like, I don't know who you are. We don't know if you believe the right things, if you have the best intentions, if you're even following God. When you have gifts of certain types that involve more influence over the body, it's going to take more time for you to be able to use those gifts. But if you are a teacher, I know Vicky would love to talk to you. I know Sam would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be filling our pulpit in the next three months or even three years. So let's not think that least effective way. Let's think more effectively that we all have gifts. They're given us by the Spirit. The, the Word of God says that, and they show up and build up the church when we serve. Recap. God wants you to understand how the Holy Spirit works. Do you understand better this morning? Don't answer that. Um, but you should, because this is the Word of God working. Before Jesus, you were led astray. Remember what it was like before Jesus. You were different then, but now you don't think that way. You don't worship in the wrong way. You're not led astray to false idols. You're led to the truth by the Holy Spirit. Now that you follow Jesus, you're led by the Holy Spirit, and his mission is to lead you to Jesus. Always the Holy Spirit is bearing witness, testifying to the glory and truth of Jesus Christ. One God gives different gifts and different ways of using them to each believer for the benefit of the church. And each gift is energized and personalized by the Holy Spirit according to his divine will, not our choices. One God, different gifts, different service and activities. I'm going to close with this. This is an exhortation. When you're part of a body, you contribute things. We're called to that. We contribute things. That is, I have this, and when I do this, by the Holy Spirit of God, things, the church is built up. There's also consumption. I, I need things. That is, I lack something. I need this, and when I receive it, I'm built up. So these two things uh, by the Spirit of God are in perfect balance. But in our flesh, we can get these things really out of whack. So if we come to church and we're only consumers and it's like, I need this. You need to provide this for you. I need to be built up. Maybe that's a good attitude in some ways, but if it's only to consume and not to contribute to the body of Christ, eventually, if there's too much of that fleshly behavior, the church will start falling a kilter. The church will be wonky like that one shopping cart where the wheel is like this and something just not right. We can't have that at Summit. We all need to be contributing because we all have spiritual gifts given to us by the Spirit of God. So it's not like we lack. God has given us all that we need. We just have to do it. So remember to keep that balance. Don't ever think, oh, I don't, I don't need anything from this church. I'm just here to serve. You need something. But, but in that, be willing to contribute as well. Please join me in praying. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for grace gifts given to us, spiritual gifts. And I pray that we would know those things. And if there's a desire in our heart that we would praise you even now, because you write in your word that we should deeply desire gifts and earnestly pursue spiritual gifts. But above all else, you've called us to testify and declare the truth that you've given us in your word. So I pray that we would do that. I pray that if, if someone feels discouraged now by misunderstanding, that, by, that we'd be able to talk about that as a church together. 
I pray if people are looking forward to learning more about spiritual gifts, that you would uh, sustain them through that and they would go to the word of God and even the teachers of the church, even now them, themselves to do that. Thank you for 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the profit of all, for the common good, for the benefit of the whole church. Thank you that, that we can benefit because of you, God. So I pray that you would stir it up in our hearts now by your spirit to do that, to contribute and to consume your goodness and the gifts of other people, that you would keep us in a healthy, balanced place of humility with right teaching and healthy relationships and whole participation together. Father, you're good. We love you. Thank you that we get to now sing using the gifts that you've given us. Amen.